You're listening to the PFWC podcast with me, Carly Compton, a podcast created to help you learn strategies to overcome that bully inside your head, ways to practice self-love, awareness and understanding of eating disorders, how to embrace the body you have been given and develop a healthy relationship with food, exercise, and most importantly, yourself. Here at the PFWC podcast, we find it important to create a safe space and a place for individuals to come to learn how to create that lifestyle that works for them. We're dropping comparisons, fighting unrealistic beauty standards, and coming together to show the world that all bodies are beautiful and that healthy looks different on everyone. Sit back, relax, and get ready to grow together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the PFWC podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. Um, I'm sitting down with Kamisha, um, and I'm not going to tell you too much about her. I want to give her the opportunity to introduce herself and tell us about what she's doing. Um, I was first introduced to Kamisha uh, a couple months ago when um, I decided that I wanted to donate 100% of my proceeds from the PFW from the workshop to an organization. And Kamisha's organization, Sista Afia, is the organization I chose. Um, so we're going to be talking about you know Kamisha and Sista Afia and everything that that organization is doing. So welcome, Kamisha. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So do you mind just starting off by telling us a little bit about who you are, your background? Yes. So um, again, my name is Kamisha. I am a licensed clinical social worker um, and also a mental illness survivor. So um, I have been in the social work field for about eight years, um, but I also live with a mental health condition. Um, and so I created Sister Afia um, to be able to provide community support to young Black women who live with mental health conditions because when I was in my recovery with my mental health, I didn't, I didn't see anything out there for myself. Um, and so that's been a majority of the work that I've done over the past four years is um, creating an organization from the ground up um, that approaches mental wellness in a different way, um, but also engaging people in mental health care because it's especially critical. Um, right now, uh, I think people are recognizing more than ever that mental health care is absolutely necessary. Um, and so um, that's a little bit about myself. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, if you feel comfortable just talking a little bit about your experience with your mental illness, um, I think that's something that is one is really important to talk about. And two, I think, you know, when we openly talk about it, it does give hope to other people who are listening who one may be experiencing something similar to you or just experiencing a mental illness in general. Mm hmm. Yep. So um, I was diagnosed in 2013 with um, bipolar disorder and kind of what led up to it was I was experiencing um, some symptoms of the depression side of bipolar disorder for a while. Um, but then um, because of different stressors and then of course, you know, there could be a biological component to it. Um, I hit a breaking point with my mental health. And so um, in the summer of 2013, I was in two different mental health crises. <clears throat> and the first time 
that I went to the hospital, I was like, oh, this is wrong. I don't have bipolar disorder. What are they talking about? Like, this is anxiety or something like that. But then the second time it happened, I was like, okay, well, maybe this is true, that I actually do have this. And I think part of the reason why I was in denial about it is because of how stigmatized bipolar disorder is. Um, as a mental health condition, it's one of the most misunderstood and heavily stigmatized mental health conditions. Um, and so I was in denial about it. But then um, after my second time going to the hospital, I was like, okay, I think I have this. And it was hard to accept it first because I didn't know how the world was going to treat me mm -hmm. um, and how my friends or my family um, or how people would treat me, if people would treat me differently. Um, and so I felt like uh, the stigma for, for maybe six months. And then I started to open up about it and um, it became easier. And I started to just make adjustments to my life, given that I have this diagnosis. So I know like, for example, this time of the year in Chicago, when the weather changes that my mood you know, can change as well, where I might feel a little bit more down or, you know, my um, energy levels may not be as high. Um, and I also know that if I'm undergoing a lot of stress, then that also can affect my mental illness as well. So I have to like manage my stress levels and um, make sure that I'm reaching out to people for support when I need it. Um, and then also just doing the, the, the maintenance that I kind of talked about earlier, going to therapy every two weeks, meeting with my psychiatrist every couple of months, um, you know, writing in my journal about what's going on or, you know, if I'm starting to experience symptoms, what I need to do to cope, right? So those have been like all the things that I've, you know, have learned and uh, one of the things that is talked about is that you can recover. You know, most people who do have a mental health condition that actually seek help can recover. Like, I still run a full-on social enterprise while having this mental illness because I've recovered and because I've taken my mental health seriously. But the longer you go without getting care, and if you don't recover, then you possibly will not be able to you know, um, achieve the things that you want to um, and to live somewhat of a normal life. Um, so yeah, so that's how like my mental illness has impacted me. But, you know, like I was saying, you know, I'm not a victim of this thing. Like this is something that I've experienced and that I am experiencing, but I am a survivor of this thing. I'm still, you know, a powerful and empowered person. And so I always like to tell people that is because sometimes people can be, um, they can be in denial about their mental health because they believe that they'll become a victim of it and you don't have to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's so, so important to remember. And I like wanted to start clapping. <laughs> to just, I like wanted to start clapping because it's, it really is so important. I've, I've talked to so many people as well who are like, I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want to talk about this because of a lot of the same reasons. They didn't want that those relationships to change. They didn't want to become a victim. They didn't want um, to be labeled, you know, 
negatively labeled as, you know, having a mental illness. And I think it's so important for people to remember that you don't have to be a victim and it can be something that really genuinely changes your life um, and opens your eyes to something you might not have ever realized, you know, before you, um, you know, started that recovery. Cause I know for myself, with my eating disorder in my recovery, I realized I wanted to work in the eating disorder field, which is something I never realized until I started my recovery and realized that I wasn't going to let my eating disorder, you know, control my life. And I wasn't going to be a victim. And, and, and instead I was going to take control of, take back control of my life and use what I learned through my recovery and through my experience with my eating disorder to, you know, educate others and to bring awareness to other things and, and decide not to be a victim. So I think that's really important. Um, and kind of going off of that, did you find, um, were there times where relationships were weird when you started to talk about your mental illness? Um, I think one of the things that I would encounter were um, people, people's physical reactions to it. So if I would tell someone, they would be like, um, they would kind of jump back and be like, oh, you know, because the image of some of what they have in their head about someone who has bipolar disorder, I don't fit that image. And so um, that was different for people um, because of the stigma and how it's portrayed in our society and in the media, I don't fit that image, you know, <laughs> you know, so people were like, oh, really you? What does that mean? Like, you know, so I also used it as an opportunity to be an example to show people that like just because you have this doesn't necessarily mean that like you're um that you can't have a normal life and so um those were some of the changes i mean as far as relationships um my in the beginning my family didn't really understand as much and then sometimes even when i would express like you know, during certain times of the year, it's hard for me. They were like, well, oh, you can do this, this, and that. I'm like, no, like you guys, this is a part of the illness. I can do all the right things and this will still happen, <laughs> you know? So there had to be some, you know, psychoeducation with my family and with my friends about it and how it shows up in my life. So um, I would say it didn't really change relationships much for me, but it, it had to be a little bit of kind of educating people about, the, the illness and also like how it shows up in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that because I, I got the same reaction when I would tell people, yeah, I've been battling an eating disorder for five years. I didn't have what people think what people imagine an eating disorder looks like on people. You know, I wasn't in a very frail, like small body and people would be like, Oh really? Like shocked and surprised. And that was also a turning point for me where I was like, we ha we have to educate people on the fact that mental illness looks different on literally every single person. And, you know, there's not one set you know, image of what a certain um, mental illness looks like. And so I think that's really important to remember for people to understand that maybe try not to be shocked when someone shares with you something that they're struggling with, because I think that sometimes it can, it can, um, 
you know, remove that, you know, valid, that valid thing that that person's struggling with is when you're like, Oh, really? That person starts to question like, am I really struggling with this? Am I really going through this? Um, and we don't deserve that. <laughs> you know, we don't deserve to question, to question that stuff. I, I guess the thing I'm most interested about is hearing, um, what that transition for you looks like in terms of, um, you know, having that mental health illness and starting an organization. Um, what did that process kind of look like for you? I'm sure it was very difficult. Um, and there were obviously ups and downs, but, um, I would love to hear what that looks like. Cause I'm sure there are listeners, um, who may be right now, um, struggling with a mental health illness and, um, thinking, oh, starting something like this isn't possible for me, you know, all of these doubts that we have. So I would love to hear kind of what that looked like for you. Mm -hmm. um, well, I would say the first step was me really being able to learn how to take care of myself and to also, um, in addition to that self-care with my mental health, also the community care. So making sure that I had um, a support system as well um, were very critical to my um, my ability to take care of my mental health. Um, and I think that um, sometimes we might look at people who have mental health conditions as like, this is just a diagnosis that, you know, um, is going to define my life. But I decided to not be kind of a victim, but be more of like, you know, a survivor and kind of using the things that are unique to me and people who have my mental health condition and using those to my advantage. Um, so I have bipolar disorder. And um, one of the things that people who have bipolar disorder are great at is we're extremely creative um, and um, very insightful as well. Um, and we're very sensitive too. So kind of using those things as a way to, um, to, uh, be creative in my business, right? But also making sure that I take my medication, that I'm going to therapy every two weeks, that I'm going to my psychiatrist, that I'm being able to use those coping skills. Like all of those things are important. And I think that if you want to start something, you don't have to be perfect. Like you don't have to have everything together. And I think a lot of people think that you have to have it all together before you start something. But it is critical that just like if you had any other, you know, illness that you take care of yourself so that you could do the best work possible. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so I would say, you know, like, don't look at your mental health condition as something that is going to necessarily stop you, but look at it as something that can give you insight or a different perspective that could still help to carry whatever vision that you have for yourself forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think you, you nailed that in terms of just making sure you have the resources and the support, you know, that you need. And again, I think what you said in terms of, you know, just like any other illness, like you still have to take care of yourself. You still have to have your, you know, go to regular checkups and do all of these things. And, and I think that's really, really important for people to remember is like, 
mental illness is something that you have to tend to regularly. Um, and when you, you know, you find that support system and you find those people who are there for you, um, it makes it a little bit easier, you know? And I think that, um, I think that step of finding those people can sometimes be really scary, um, for a lot of people and, and, you know, breaking that stigma that, you know, seeing a therapist or having a mental illness like makes, makes you bad or there's something, you know, quote unquote wrong with you. Um, and just knowing that that's not the case and, you know, seeing someone and seeing a therapist is so important. I find myself telling people like, even if you're not struggling with something really intense right now, just go see someone, just go talk to someone, you know, cause then if something does come up in the future, you feel a little bit more prepared and you already have someone to see. So, um, I love how you, how you stated all of that. So thank you. Um, and then I guess next, I just, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about Sistafia, um, and its missions really. And, um, what you're doing every day with that organization. Um, so Sista Afia was launched in February of 2017. So we are three years old, going on four years old as an organization. Um, and originally I had the idea of creating like an online platform. But then when I was like about to launch an organization, I was like, no, this needs to be community-based because that's really what a lot of people are missing. So with Sister Afia, um, we started out with our first program that still exists today, our Sister Support Group, that was um, launched in March of 2017. And um, since then, we've expanded to um, offering individual therapy, group therapy, um, workshops, and social events that engage young Black women into mental wellness care that is affordable, accessible, and culturally centered. Um, one of the things that we found out in the earlier, early stages of um, creating Sistafia was that one of the main barriers that people had to getting mental health care was the cost. Um, we did like a community survey um, over the summer. We were doing some of our outreach and that was one of the top barriers. And so then we started to explicitly say that we provide low-cost mental wellness services. And um, that has been definitely um, definitely needed in our community. Um, just to give a little bit of a landscape about Chicago. Um, Chicago has three, about three million people. Um, and it's one of the most segregated cities in America. Um, if you've ever been to Chicago, you can literally, you know, be in one neighborhood that might be predominantly African American, and then you may go 10 minutes, um, you know, east or west, and you'll be in a predominantly white um, neighborhood or predominantly Latinx neighborhood. So um, with that segregation is the um, unequal distribution of resources. So with that, um, about 10 years ago, in majority black and brown neighborhoods, they shut down the public mental health clinics. So people who usually weren't able to afford mental health care services were going to those clinics and they, they no longer exist. So with that, um, many community you know, organizations, private practices had to kind of fill in that gap for folks. And so um, what we found were there were a large amount of people who were seeking mental health services but couldn't afford it and it wasn't in their neighborhood. 
So um, we're located on the south side of Chicago um, in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And most of the people come and say, like, I'm happy that I don't have to go downtown or go to the north side to get services and I can afford them too. So that's one of the things that makes Sasafi unique. Um, and then also that we um, are culturally centered. And what that means is that we value African-American Black culture and we use that as a vehicle to, um, to approach mental wellness from a different standpoint. So you're, you know, you said you're an MSW program. In, when I was in my program, we rarely talked about Black social workers. We rarely talked about culture in mental health care and how that can actually be really important. And so we found that we've been able to be successful in reaching young Black women because we integrated and centered culture and it centered the experiences of Black women currently and also historically. So um, that is pretty much like our work. Um, and um, also, in addition to that being online, we've now reached a larger community that we may not have reached pre-pandemic. Um, and so that has also been a way that we've been able to be creative and reach people from all over the country and not just in Chicago. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, you know, everything that you're focusing on, obviously, and you know this, is so incredibly important. All of the aspects that you've touched on and, and that you're focusing on with Sista Afia is, um, those are things that I've also seen, you know, with people who struggle with affording um, those resources and that support. And so I think that's something that is so powerful and so important. So thank you for, for doing that and for doing what you do. Um, and I, I guess I would love to know, how has Sista Afia, um, has Sista Afia changed or not really changed, but what has, what have you seen or witnessed over the last couple of months um, at Sistafia with everything going on um, right now in the country with police brutality and systemic racism and stuff that's been happening, obviously, um, not just the last couple of months, but for, you know, decades. Um, how has that or has it affected um, Sistafia? So um, one thing is that the mental health care system was already very shaky. <laughs> and so um, just, it, there's just been a lack of investment into mental health care services. And so with that, um, with the pandemic, well, the multiple pandemics, the economic, the public health and the racial pandemics, all of those different things, is that um, more people were experiencing are experiencing mental health symptoms for the very first time. And then there are people who are already living with mental health conditions that their mental health got worse. And so those were some of the things that we saw that um, have changed. Um, I think that the demand has always been there, but you have people who are experiencing, you know, the impact of racial trauma from everything that's happening in the country. You have people who've lost their jobs, people who've lost loved ones, um, and you've had people who've lost their financial stability. And so all of that is definitely the perfect storm for people to have more challenges with their mental health. So um, that's kind of what we've seen. Um, there have been more people who've been requesting mental health services from us. Like we hired a therapist in the summer, but we're still seeing that that's not enough. And so we're probably gonna have to, we're going to hire another therapist in the winter 
But with all of that, it's just it's just a huge demand um, for services. And especially because if you lost your job um, and you really need mental health care services, people aren't necessarily able to maybe find someone who is affordable as well. So it's it's kind of a um, it's kind of a, a mess <laughs> right now as far as like being able to provide the services that people really need, um, but also dealing with the effects of all these things happening in therapy, in our groups, in our workshops. We've really been tailoring a lot of what we've been doing to focus on how people are impacted by those things, which we may have done if the pandemic and all the pandemics wouldn't have been happening, but we really have been more explicit about focusing on those things um, within what we offer at Sasafia. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, and obviously it's so, there's like the pros and cons of the pandemic and everything going pretty much virtual, um, you know, because now you can, you can reach so many more people and so many more people have access to um, the resources that you provide. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, the, the influx of, of people who, you know, are reaching out for that support and, um, you know, those mental health resources, because I've seen it on my end too, just in terms of people who are like, I didn't know I had, I dealt with mental health issues until all of this happened. And they're like, and I'm now realizing I really struggle with mental health issues. Um, and I think that's something that's really come out of, of the pandemics, not just COVID, um, but everything else as well. And I think hopefully this may be a turning point for the mental health field. And hopefully this, um, you know, exposes the lack of funding and the lack of, you know, prioritize prioritization that we put on mental health. Um, so thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the other questions I had um, was, you kind of talked a little bit about this, but I would love to know a little bit more, just for anyone who's listening, um, the types of resources um, that Sista Afia offers, just for anyone who may be interested. Um, you touched on a couple of them, but just a little bit more in depth would be amazing. Mm -hmm. So um, we offer individual therapy for anybody who lives in Illinois. Um, this summer with more people finding out about us across the country, they've been requesting from all over. We're like, no, legally we can't do that. <laughs> so we do offer individual therapy, of course, virtually because of the pandemic. Um, we also have workshops and classes every single month. So like this month, we have a um, Afro Zumba class and then we're having um, an event focused on intimate partner violence. So every month we have at least three to four events going on. And so if you go to our website, www.sistaafia.com slash services, you'll see all of what we have going on. So that is uh, ways that you can plug in. And they're usually in our groups and workshops, we have maybe about 10 to 25 people. So it's still very intimate and we really pride ourselves on, we don't want to have a hundred people at our events. We want to have like um, a smaller group so that people can feel more comfortable and people can share what's going on with them. 
Um, on our website, we also have a resources and information page that has like over 35 different um, topic-based resources. So from um, how do I find low-cost services to how do I have conversations with my friends and family about my mental health care to what do I do if I'm struggling with substance use or, or, um, or, um, or self-harm and suicide? Where do I find those resources, right? So anybody, you know, regardless, you know, of your background can go on our website and see, you know, all of those different resources that are available. Um, and then in addition to that, our social media. So we have, um, we're very, at, we're the most active on Instagram and then also on Facebook as well. And, you know, we post tips, inspirational, you know, messages, um, information about our events, um, videos. We have an IGTV series as well. So those are other ways that people can, you know, gain mental health resources from us. So the last question I had, um, and really just a great place to wrap, wrap this up is, um, what can listeners do to support Sistafia? Because, you know, I want those listening to be able to support in any way possible, um, and to be able to, you know, do what they can to support you and the organization. Because like I said at the beginning, when I was searching for organizations to donate to, uh, in July, Sisafia came up and I was like, this is it. And I knew right away um, that Sisafia was, it was who I wanted to donate to. And, and so how can people support? What can, what can people do? Um, well, for one, just sharing us with people in your community. Cause you just never know like who might need support and specifically young black women, um, young adults, um, sharing our information with, with them. Um, would also be very helpful. Um, the other thing I would say is um, if you want to donate to us, so we have, um, we're a social enterprise, so we are for-profit and we have a non-profit, so you can make a tax-deductible donation by going on our website, um, www.sisaafia.com slash support us, um, and you can make a tax-deductible deductible donation and then just following us on social media um like i said especially our instagram page and our facebook page are very you know we try to put messages and resources out there that can help anyone and so um you know those are ways that you all can support us perfect thank you and then lastly um do you have a you know your own Instagram or are you just specifically tied with Sistafia? I'm just trying to think of where other people can find more about you. Mm -hmm. So I don't have my own Instagram because I like my privacy, oh, but you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Kamisha L. Jones. I pretty much accept everybody on LinkedIn unless they look like a spammer <laughs> or like, you know, someone's trying to hustle me out of some money. So <laughs> Um, if you, you know, uh, friend request me on LinkedIn, then that's how you can stay connected to me. And if you just want to learn more about me in general, I do have my own website. So if you go to www.kamishajones.com, then you'll be able to find, um, more information about myself. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Kamisha, for taking time out of your morning to come sit down and talk to me. Um, again, 
thank you so much for everything you're doing with Sista Afia um, and you know all of the work you're doing in the mental health field. As you know, it's very important. And um, I'm learning more and more about that as I go through my MSW in terms of where we are lacking in so many areas as a country um, in terms of mental health and, and all of that. So thank you again so much for your work and what you're doing and for opening up and sharing um, a little bit about your mental, um, you know, your mental illness battle and everything that you've gone through and are, are going through. So thank you again for being here.